If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Fellow fiends, welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And today we are talking terror in Technicolor. Do, 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 do. <laughs> that was my audio uh, interpretation of bright colors. Yep. Yeah, just a a little white beam passing through a prism, exploding out into a bunch of primary colors. Woo, blood! (laughs) What films are we talking about this week, John? This week, we are talking about Dario Argento's Suspiria. From 1977. And Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace. From 1964. I guess it should be said, like we do with all of our uh, disclaimers up at the top, that we are not huge... Suspiria fans. Not, not to say that we didn't like the original, but um, that's kind of why we planned this episode to revisit the original around the release of the remake, reimagining, whatever you're calling it, whatever they're calling it. I think it's a remake. Sort of. Loose remake. Uh, so we... I think it's being referred to as a remake. Thanks, John. Yep. Confirmation. Yeah, so we wanted to revisit the film, and in doing so, we paired it with another sort of brightly colored, Italian-inspired horror film. A movie that Argento used as inspiration for his own, uh, and arguably, probably a movie that kick-started the giallo movement. We don't know anything about giallo film, though, so don't... I'm basing this off what other people tell me. (laughs) Don't expect this to be a big deep dive. This is going to be your standard run-of-the-mill, silly, and... um, regular Nightmare on Film Street episode. Yeah, before we get started though, Kim, <laughs> what's keeping you creepy this week? Well, as it is Suspiria 2018 release week, uh, we actually have not caught the film this week. It's surprisingly not playing anywhere near us. We plan on seeing it while it's still in the theaters. We did catch it back at Fantastic Festival this past September, so we're going to talk about uh, our first impressions from that viewing. Unfortunately, it's not fresh in our heads. We were hoping to have re rewatched it. But uh, we're going to have to wait till a theater near us gets it. I am really looking forward to watching it again, though. Um, If you've seen Suspiria, I'm sure you feel the same way. You can't really get it out of your head. Uh, I've been thinking about it pretty regularly since we caught it back in Texas, and I still have lots of questions. That's why I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. Um, You know, I didn't love it, unfortunately, and I'm wondering if, like... Argento's Suspiria, a second viewing is really going to help me grow my appreciation for it. Yeah, I remember coming out of it and being really underwhelmed. 
Um, but we were also at a film festival with a lot of art appreciators and everybody around us seemed to be really overwhelmed by the movie and there was a lot of praise coming out of seeing that film and I kind of just was like finding the background <laughs> and uh, we had to write a review on it and that was really difficult because I really just wanted to stew on it. The more I have, I think the more I'm starting to come around to the movie and kind of the ideas that it presents. But as I was watching it, I found myself kind of frustrated, mainly because as somebody who's not a huge, huge fan of the original, not that I don't like it, but I was really hoping for something a little um, updated for a modern day audience. And in saying that, I'm kind of saying I, w I wanted it to be more of a commercial film. I wanted that really cool witchy coven lore and that poetic dance studio type feel brought into uh, a more commercial light. Mm -hmm. And this film ended up being really complicated and really expands the story and is like a really long, meaty art film. It's like two and a half hour runtime. And so I'm just wondering, like, who is the intended audience for this film? Because there, there's already an audience for the original, people that appreciate really arty visual uh, storytelling. So in, in updating it, yes, they've done something different, which is great and wonderful. And I love that they, the changes that they made visually to still give it this like iconic vibe that doesn't necessarily trample on the style of the original, but kind of pays homage in like a, like a non-identical twin kind of way like it's also hyper stylized but it's not the same style which is a very cool idea but it's just so complicated and like we already have Suspiria the art film unfortunately we don't need a second one yeah I mean it's it's got a lot of ideas maybe unfortunately too many it is a little complicated it's hard to digest and I'm worried that second viewing isn't really going to fix any of that for us. Uh, you know, when you sit with it and, and you picture it in your mind, separate pieces here and there, almost like you're watching a miniseries of Suspiria in your mind, pretty cool because it has time for you to think about each of those parts. But I think together, slammed into two and a half hours, it's way too much. And, you know, it, it is it is visual in its in its own way uh, that's very unlike but also very similar to the original. But it also has... Some concepts that I, I think are just too much. Yeah, and like the original, it tries to be really understated and convey more than say or explain. So it's trying to use that same type of visual storytelling as the original, but it, it goes so much further with the plot and the, the origin story that it just, once it starts happening, you're like, whoa, 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 we're unraveling things that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't really want to talk about it too, too much in case you guys haven't had a chance to see it, obviously. But... I don't know that Lutz Everettsdorf is an integral character to that story. Uh, he's he's the old psychologist, which is you know very brief in the original. He has he's a very key character. The movie tells us, uh, but I don't think he actually needs to be there. Um, based on how some things go toward the end of the movie, I don't think he actually has a purpose. And like those very last few moments, really undercut him even needing to be there. One thing I really like about this movie, though, is how it uses dance. I, I don't think dance really has anything to do with anything in the original. It just happens to be a dance academy where these witches are. 
that's what they're running. It's it's how they're operating undercover. Yeah, and like we unfortunately we we there's a vagueness around it. We're not quite sure if it's like spells or if this is where they get their power or this is like kind of how they recharge or what necessarily dance is. But I love that we get to spend more time with the coven and I'm still not sure what their intentions are. Same as in the original, like what, why a dance school and why new students and like what the entire, um, like are they eating them? Do they eat them? Are they recruiting? Are they growing the coven? I don't know. Well, I think, um, I think, I think dance is super important in this movie because, you know, in like, think of it like method acting. You need to step into that role and become that character and use the energy of someone else. I would have actual quotes from the movie if we had seen it before we recorded this intro, but the dance itself is so important to the coven in this movie. Because in in this, the the dance itself is a ritual that the the witches are performing, like putting something into a, a pot and boiling over and, and chanting words from uh, from a spell book like you'd see in any sort of a typical witch story. The dance is super important there and the people involved in that dance and what that dance means and just kind of like the philosophy of dance is, is interesting in a movie where we are dealing with characters who are maybe using people for ulterior motives. I don't think we get that in the original Suspiria, but I also don't think it needs to be there in the original Suspiria. What's what's really interesting is that this story works in a vague way, and it also works in an over-explained way. Unfortunately, I don't love the over-explanation. And, and, and honestly, for the new Suspiria to also be vague in its own sense while over-explaining its concepts is really frustrating, and... Well, yeah, because you're just like, come out there with it then. They're like, if we're gonna go here, like, let's see what the witches are doing all the time. Like, we don't need to go see Lutz. Like, let's just go hang out in the witch's office, which is what I would like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, like, obviously we could talk about this a little more, and I wish we could spend more time on it, but uh, we'd have we'd start getting into spoilers, and I want to keep this spoiler free if you guys haven't had a chance to see it. Please do let us know your thoughts. Yeah, we have a thread going over in the Horror Fiends Facebook group. If you haven't, head over there. You can uh, share your opinion on the film and see what other people have thought. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. Yeah, and by this time, I think people will start to actually formulate a few more deep thoughts. Right now, it's a lot of, I liked it, I didn't like it, but there's a lot of, like, I still need to process this movie, which is very true. So, formulate your thoughts. Let us know what you think about it. I'm interested. I have questions. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> I did like Dakota Johnson in it, which I was surprised. I'm normally kind of lukewarm on her. I really liked her in this. And I liked all the dancing. I went mostly for Tilda Swinton. And peace, and one last thing before I we go. I wanted more Tilda Swinton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know she... She's in like the whole... She's gut. a lot of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one other thing, one last thing, without giving anything away. I think Jessica Harper's character in this new one is... Fucking brilliant. I think it is a genius move uh, as an homage to the original and as a remake and to have her and like the exactly what she is in this movie is so perfect for someone who is coming back and returning to a world that she had already been such a large part of. And moving on. And moving on, yeah. (laughs) Before we get into the movies, I just want to give a big shout out to our most recent supporters on Patreon, Robert, Noah M, Noah D, and Veronique. Thank you so much for your support. 
but I just want to let you, you know, we run a tight ship around here. I don't care if you're twins. I don't care if you're a mysterious Veronique. And when you're here in my dance academy, we follow strict rules. Everyone sleeps in the same room. One big curtain around us and a creepy snoring witch behind you. That's how it is for everyone. That's how it was when I grew up. And that's how it is here. <laughs> you will follow our rules. You will chant our spells. I, I mean, recite the morning prayer. And you will give yourself over to dance. And Satan. <laughs> and Satan, of course. I mean, it's the only way to communicate to him. We have to stomp loud enough for him to hear us. Thank you guys for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to check out all of the cool rewards and perks for supporting and sponsoring the show, head to patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. But let's get into it. Let's talk about Dario Argento's Suspiria. Roses are red. Violets are blue, but the iris is a flower that will mean the end of you. You can run from Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. Suspiria. But you cannot escape Suspiria. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. So, Suspiria from 1977. Directed by Dario Argento, Suspiria is currently sitting at a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 77% on Metacritic, and a 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Going into Suspiria, how many times do you think you've seen it before? From In full, from beginning to end? Sure. This is probably my third time. I would say, yeah, that's probably about right for me. I'm, I'm sure I've caught scenes of it. Oh, like, yeah, I've watched hundreds of times. <laughs> bits of it here and there whenever it's popped up. But yeah, from, from beginning, opening credits to closing credits, this is probably only the third time. Yeah, going into it, I have to admit that I didn't love the film initially. Um... I appreciate it, of course. I think it's a beautiful film. I think it's really gorgeous. But yeah, I didn't really love it. I think this viewing is probably the most I've ever liked the movie. What if we just haven't watched it enough? Like, what if everybody else... What if this is just this just happens every time you watch it, right? Like, first time, I don't know. Second time, okay, I appreciate it. Third, this isn't bad. And then, like, every subsequent viewing, it just gets better and better. Uh, you think you've peaked? You uh, yeah. <laughs> I think I formed my opinion on the film. But sure. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm the same way. I don't think I don't think I really liked it all that much story-wise until this time around. Um it's always been a visual movie for me. Uh, like, oh, this is fun to look at, but that's it. It's like a Tumblr account I occasionally visit or something. Yeah, and I think you kind of have to get over the not the shock of it, but I mean th this isn't the type of film that that you and I normally watch. This isn't our go-to type of movie. So the the dubbing takes some getting used to the visual storytelling takes some getting used to and once you're kind of familiar with those I was able to I think this was the first time I was able to watch the movie 
for the story. Mm-hmm. And that might be in part thanks to the new film. And that film being different from the original, it helped me focus more on the story of this one. Because when we were watching the newer film, I didn't quite know what belonged to what story. Mm. I didn't know where deviations were taken. There were a lot. There's a lot. Of de- <laughs> there's a lot of deviations. Not that that's not right or whatever. Like that. That didn't really affect my opinion of the new film. But it helped me, I guess, focus on this one more. And like, maybe I should try to crack this nut, the the original nut. <laughs> If you haven't seen it in a while, uh, Suspiria follows Susie Banyan, who's come from America to the Dance Academy in, is it set in Germany? It is set in Germany. To Dance Academy in Germany to study with this big fancy Dance Academy. <laughs> <laughs> I assume they're the leading Dance Academy. And something's not quite right. Uh, the girls are a little suspicious. The women are acting a little strange. The help are all ugly, but it's okay. They know it, so you can say it to their faces. I know. <laughs> And, of course, a girl has just recently gone missing and was found murdered. To which Susie, our lead, meets the first night she makes it to the dance academy. It's pouring rain. They don't let her in for some reason. And some girl just runs off into the woods with some crazy, wild-ass music playing behind her. Yeah, it's pretty good. Witch, witch, witch. Witch, 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 witch. Go, it's witches. (laughs) Three minutes into the movie. That's how we know. In that sequence, I I, I do want to talk about the Patricia is her name, her death in the apartment. Probably the most iconic thing of the entire movie, right? Yeah, it's definitely the scene I've seen the most. Her falling through the stained glass window Mm -hmm. and the hanging scene, like, that's very iconic. It's very jarring and gory. It really sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. The hanging is, I love it. And we kind of thought about it a bit because you were like, why is the noose tied around her waist? But when it slips and tightens on her neck and she's like, ugh, it's so abrupt. Oh yeah, it looks really cool. It looks like stop motion animation style. It it looks great. It looks awesome. It's, It's very effective. But I don't know what his goal always was. Like, was it to stab her a bunch of times and then hang her by the waist so she's found? Or was he always hoping that it would... They would loop around her neck. I think that was just a type of knot. Like, I think that's a type of knot that tightens like a noose does. Like a noose? (laughs) (laughs) Got it. I do want to point out, though, that the fucking interior decorating in that scene is... What is the word? I want to say upsetting, but it's not upsetting. But it definitely takes a lot of your thinking power just to see the the decorating of the... Are you trying to say that you'd be exhausted by the time you got home? Like, if you lived at this place? Maybe. P.S. It's three stories, and that's it. How do you get such an opulent-looking apartment building when you only have enough room for, I don't know, a dozen rooms? I think this is the only viewing that I didn't realize that was not part of the Dance Academy. You oh, d- yeah. Everybody can't live in opulent spaces. Like, why doesn't... She's a student. Why doesn't she live in a brown dorm room? I don't know if that's her place. I think she stays at the academy, and she's gone to go see, I, I think, her sister? Because she's basically just... Because she, she's saying to her, like, oh, I was rambunctious when I was a kid. I got kicked out of school all the time. It'll be fine in the morning. You'll go back care. and apologize. I'm over the opulence. Got I'm it. over it. Yeah, over it. <laughs> the dance academy gets to be opulent because it's run by a bunch of ancient witches. They can be as opulent well, as they like. Well, even if it's not run by a bunch of ancient witches, their job is to take your money and teach you things versus an apartment building where it's like, hey, I hope you got fucking money because it's going to cost a lot to live here. Yeah. <laughs> like, you get a laundry chute and that's it. That's an apartment. Welcome to apartment life. <laughs> It's a pretty sweet apartment. I'd live there. Just because of how fucked up it looks. I would have a headache. 
You'd be like bringing your groceries in. And you'd be like, oh, why is there so much salmon everywhere? You'd never need salmon to have and coffee gold. in the morning. Salmon and gold. <laughs> salmon, salmon and gold. gold. You know what's unfortunate is that we're only days after, days out from Halloween, and we're already singing <laughs> Christmas songs. Yeah, but yeah. So um, that death is iconic. Too much decorating. Let's move on. <laughs> Got it. Um, so Susie stays somewhere for the next night. Uh, but shows up in the morning and they're like, hey, where have you been? You were supposed to be here last night. But I guess at that point, everybody had already gone to bed. How would they know? Like, was she late for her indoctrination with the witches? Is that the problem? I don't know. The The whole witchy undertone in this is so subtle. That's to keep it in the realm of sort of whodunity because she she doesn't unearth the secret until the very final sequence. Yeah. So it's supposed to be more suspicious than anything. It's just supposed to be, hey, these people are acting strange. Yeah, apart from the score shouting witch at us every five minutes, we don't know that it's witches for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, this was intended for an Italian audience. They don't know that word. It was supposed to be subliminal. Oh, the dubbing in this movie. Honestly, I really think we have to see the 4K restoration. Because from what I understand, yes, it looks gorgeous. But there were a lot of like painstaking efforts put into not redubbing the movie, but cleaning it up. You know, there's just, you can tell when there's fully work done on something hitting the floor. And it's like, this doesn't sound like any of the, any of the other sound in the rest of this scene. I think they did a lot to clean up the audio in this uh, and I would love to see that movie with as much care put into the audio as as was put into the video. Yeah, it's just really hard to judge acting when you're listening, you're watching somebody and then they're being dubbed over. And then in some instances, like when we were watching Blood and Black Lace, it was dubbed and we were also reading captions. Like it was just, it's a, it's a lot of layers <laughs> on top of, um, trying to follow something, especially with these really visual films. I'm normally not into dubbing because I really like reading captions and I like having the authentic voices. Which, interestingly enough, when they were recording this audio-wise, they had everybody just speak their native language. Yeah, so you'd have a scene where it's German and English and, and Italian, and but they're all reading from it like an English script, I think. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times, like the characters weren't even understanding each other apart from like they knew what was on the script. Mm -hmm. So they were just like reacting like they could understand what the other person was speaking, even if it was like Jessica Harper speaking English and the Sarah character speaking German. I gotta wonder if that was an intentional move, though. It might have been just to ultimately make all the actors feel comfortable. Probably. And like really owning the emotion part of what they're saying. Yeah, because you can, you can react to emotion. Like, that's no big deal. Mm -hmm. you, you can totally do that. It You know, like the stereotypical acting warm-up you'll see is where people just repeat the words like a and b to each other but just with different inflections and you're just reacting to emotion so it wouldn't be hard i would think especially if you have the script in front of you like you know the message that they're trying to get across but in romanticizing like the the vision of this film i'd like to assume that it's intentional because he wanted to have this weird disjointed dreamlike sense of what was happening because mm -hmm. the entire movie is essentially a nightmare that you're walking through. It definitely is nightmare-y. And Susie, Jessica Harper's character, is definitely supposed to feel like a fish out of water in all of it. I mean, everybody is speaking English, but it's with a heavy accent. And then um, Jessica Harper gets to, at least in the version that we were uh, watching this time, it's her voice. Because we've, we've watched both. We've watched it with a different voice for her character. Mm -hmm. And isn't she a lot more soft-spoken in that one? And this one, she's not really soft-spoken. She's pretty um, airy in her voice. Like, 
Hi, I'm Susie Banyan. Like, I, I, what's the <laughs> what's, job, I wanted to say whimsical, but that's not right. What Very am I, authentic. Wait, yeah, yeah, it's I nailed it. Well, something I didn't know, I and I didn't even pick up on myself, is this entire film is really inspired heavily by Disney's Snow White. You read that too, right? Yeah, yeah. and her character is based off Snow White. She kind of is exactly Snow White. Look, look wise, she's got that that bright eyed, like the the hair swept off the face. She she definitely embodies Snow White visually. And she's fighting a witch. Oh my god! Right, like I think this entire movie is just a reimagining of Snow White with some feminist art stuff thrown into it that nobody got credited for, and also like this essay from the late eighteen hundreds. Everybody's inspired from something, John. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, this is just me downloading, like, the, the base level info I got from Wikipedia. <laughs> but more more interesting than, like, the characters and the story structure of Snow White is that visually they were also inspired by Snow White. Yeah, and that's why he opted for really primary colors in the lighting and the cinematography of the film, which is really cool. Yeah, and how, like, none of the colors bleed together. Like, it's a cut-and-paste cartoon almost. Mm. I think that's fucking awesome. That is really cool. Something that we'll also see a lot in Mario Baba's films. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, it's weird, because it has that sort of cartoonishy, nightmare feel to it. One thing that I, I never noticed, ever, uh, until this viewing, was the scenes in the airport with the score. So she's coming out of her airplane, she's walking toward the exit where the, it's raining and no taxi wants to wait for her. But as the doors are opening and closing, like the sliding automatic doors, the music starts when the, 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 the doors are open, but it stops abruptly when the doors close. Hmm. And we make a point to focus on it like two or three times. At first you're like, hey, why did the music just come and go like that? And then we see it's because of the doors. Like beyond these gates, a, a, you are walking into another realm or something. Like hmm. she's treading into a dream or a nightmare. That's really interesting. And so that's how I chose to watch the movie this time, as though it were a nightmare. But I don't I don't think you can watch the entire movie like that. I think you just have to look at it as though the visual storytelling is like how information is passed in a dream. It's it's very instinctual. Like nothing's really explained to you, but you understand it, but when you try and think about it too much, it like just fades from your head and then then you have no concept of what's happening. In a dream, you roll with things. Because you think you understand it, but when you try and focus on it, it's not there. Yeah, I, see how I kind of justified it to myself, because normally I'm not necessarily into movies that are um, that favor visuals more than story, mm. is I try to separate the two, so the, the visual aspect and all of the extended cinematography and the really wide and, and sweeping sequences are for the audience, and they're not part of what the characters are experiencing. So I, I pretend that the story element is cut and dry and like what they're experiencing is actually drab real life and we have this cinematic experience on top of it. Okay. So I try to separate the two in that like when Susie's sort of dance walking through the hallway and nothing in particular is really happening other than seeing the ominous kitchen lady oh, and the son. Yeah. <laughs> all she's getting from them is a vibe when she walks by. Yeah. And for us, it's this crazy cinematic experience, but... For her, it's just it's, drab and boring. She well, she's just getting a vibe from. Them. It's more awkward. Than They're anything. ominous. Like, oh hey, and then she just continues on <laughs> yeah. another day. It's a tight hallway, and she tries to squeak by, and she gives her a look, something like that. You know so, what I mean? Yeah. So I, I guess the way I'm looking at it is though, uh, like when you think back on that moment at night when you're sitting in bed and you're about to fall asleep, it lingers in your mind how long and awkward that moment was, and I think that's how they were choosing to put it on 
screen because you're right on paper this happens this happens this happens but how does it feel it's like they're capturing the feeling of that moment because when you actually read the synopsis of this movie it's pretty simple and there's not a ton of things to it the the new suspiria definitely goes into the the lore of the film they've created way more than this one does yeah it does it's um it's a lot more hardy about the witch mythology whereas Mm -hmm. this one we get the name helena marcos but there's there's one scene where we talk about psychology and witchcraft which is really weird oh Um, that's super long scene with uno kier is that what you're talking (laughs) and it's just like what is this and then and then you kind of get your final sequence where you're like oh it's all true but you don't really learn any of the scope of like what their objectives are and why it's a dance academy and all that stuff you're kind of just left to pick up the pieces yourself or interpret it how you may Mm -hmm. like what you think they're doing with it and why they're using this particular academy as their secret layer yeah it it used to bug me that i didn't have the answers for that and i think this this time around like i'm finally locking into it i like it because if you were Susie banyan and you were discovering these truths and trying to survive uh, and made it out alive at the end of it you wouldn't have any answers and you wouldn't necessarily seek them out because you'd just be happy that you're still around because she definitely finds out they want to kill her they want her to disappear they don't want her around anymore but she makes it out because she confronts uh, mother marcos mm-hmm. But nobody sits her down and says, this is exactly what's happening. This is exactly what it is. It's it's just, you know, you fear for your life and you you know that something's coming after you and there's this oppressive force that's circling you. Well, and people are just going missing and dying. And that's the one thing that maybe I was always kind of confused about in regards to the Dance Academy because the girls get very suspicious kind of on their own. And one by one, they're killed. Mm. Patricia's killed at the beginning. Sam, the roommate who Susie befriends, is it Sam? Sarah? Sarah. Sarah, the roommate who Susie befriends, gets killed in one of the funniest ways in a big barbed wire room. But it's it's interesting that they're not trying to indoctrinate the girls. You'd think that this would be kind of their coven creator and mm-hmm. how they fuel this coven that they've had going on for at least a century. Yeah, it's like the junior leagues and the premier leagues that you have with sports. Like this, the dance academy is their farm team, and that's how they're going to pull kids from for yeah. bigger witches. And you don't quite know who, like this film doesn't have as many instructors as um, the new film does. Uh, like, there's obviously Madame Blanc and then some of the other instructors. But yeah, you're right. Like, they don't necessarily play a part. As far as we know, Madame Blanc is the head of everything and they all serve Marcos. But you get who's that. Who's the directress. The directress. Who's not there. She's not there. No, not at all. She's off on business in Germany somewhere. But she's totally there. Do you think, like, she just slowly sucks the life out of these girls? See, I... I think that's something that we insinuated. Yeah. I feel like she has to. There has to be a reason why the school is still operating. Either they need them for the money and they're just leeching all these girls for the income or you're right, youth, maybe they need to feed the the mother, the, these youthful girls. I thought maybe they'd be wanting to turn them into witches so that they could grow their coven. I don't know. It's almost like they were like, hey, we have this this this, this academy. It's full of witches. Like, what did they do? Oh, I don't know. But they wouldn't, But wouldn't it, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it be scary if they killed one of them for some reason? Yeah, that'd be that'd be terrifying. Yeah. I had this dream once where I fell into a room full of barbed wire. Like, ooh, that's good. Put that down. Like, Why do they just have a room of barbed wire? I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you even retrieve somebody from that room? Like, okay, 
Uh, oh, what's that? I, I hear somebody fell into the barbed wire room again. Yes, it's been weeks. <laughs> I, I'm very excited. Now, let me put on my anti-barbed wire suit? How do you how do you tread through that room to get somebody out? My favorite thing about it, though, is it, there doesn't seem to be any entrance into the room other than the outside entrance, the patio door. Where you fall which into is, it? always left ajar. Oh, that's so true. Just in case a girl <laughs> falls through a window into the barbed wire and tries to escape through the only exit that is so, like, tantalizingly, like, left open with a soft night breeze just billowing in. <laughs> Pure evil, really. <laughs> that is, like, that's a really sadistic room. <laughs> oh, man. Masochistic room? <laughs> sadistic. It's masochistic if you want to fall into it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like, you, you want to have the pain inflicted on you. So the wind is masochistic, but the girl is... How does the wind want pain? <laughs> like, oh, I just wish somebody could smack me. It sucks being wind. <laughs> I watched that movie Secretary last night. I'm so lonely. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know the difference between the two words. <laughs> That's okay. The problem is they always get thrown around in the same sentence. Like, oh, this sadomasochistic relationship. You're like, yeah, but what part is what? Which, who is who? <laughs> who's who? Who's the front of the cow and who's the back of the horse? <laughs> It was a Halloween costume reference. I'm sorry, I just smacked my microphone. It's um, okay, I did it a bunch in the last episode. I was I... kind enough not to say anything. <laughs> I was like, she's got to fucking notice that that's happening. I was like, I hope nobody notices that this is happening. So, Kim, um, the trailer and the posters for this movie posit that the only thing scarier than the first 20 minutes are the last seven. Is that is that what it is? Or is it like the That's only th- pretty cool. Or is it the only thing scarier than the first 90 minutes is the last seven minutes? Something like that? I like that. Yeah, no, it's really cool. It's super effective. And like the last seven minutes of this movie are pretty, pretty great. Good. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. We got like a ghosty outline There's of a witch. There's a peacock. Yeah. Terrifying. I love that peacock. I don't know why it's there. I don't know I don't know, know why anything I... about it. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Is it like an offering? Who knows? Maybe it's just a piece of art. Maybe it's just decor. Is it because the peacock with all the feathers is the female peacock? Is that no, the that's male the peacock? male peacock. Makes sense because they peacock. That's a that's a verb now. What? Where you peacock? You're like, oh, I'm I'm going out tonight. I've got to have on my my cool duds. It's so that they can attract so the I can ladies. Peacock and attract so the ladies. Yeah, like it's, it's all species. Why the big ape is the leader ape, and why the biggest lion is the leader lion. But because they out peacock the rest of them. No, aren't there some animals where like teeth. the female is the super decorative one? Humans. Humans. <laughs> <laughs> Humans and dogs. Like the male dogs don't have bows. The girl dogs have bows. It's all about the bows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's also humans. <laughs> humans inflicted that upon the dogs. <laughs> inflicted. Uh, yeah. You get a bow, and you get a bow, and like, you get uh, a bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of Sarah when she comes back from the dead? Um. Whoa! I was expecting you to be like, fuck yeah, oh. like Sarah back from the dead. Well, I, I'm partially just trying to understand why she's there, because it's almost like they tuck her in, like, an open coffin behind the curtain in the hallway, and she's crucified. She's got, and she's got giant pins through her wrists and, and also her, her eyeballs. Eyes. Does that give her the ability to see? Like, is it that the, 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 the pins in the eyes are what give her them the ability to control her? There's some line in there somewhere about that. I don't remember. I think it's just a spell. But maybe they're using her for a spell. I don't know. Maybe it's because, maybe she's there as an offering, and and Helena is is feeding upon her. I don't know. I don't know. The ending is is confusing because like you're like oh she's invisible, and you're like oh, and then <laughs> <laughs> and 
<laughs> and then we stab her, uh, and then the building crumbles, and you're like, no, not the academy. <laughs> they were teaching good things here apart from the witch murders. Like, there, no doubt about it. The girls that survived got a great education, right? <laughs> the ones, yeah, the ones that made it out. Yeah, the, one of the big differences between the, the original and the newer one is that uh, this is a co-ed academy. We got male dancers here. Yeah. And also varying ages as well. There were some, like, younger ones, right? I don't know. I think they were all pretty much the same age. Uh, then they're just petite, I guess. Did you read anywhere that this was originally supposed to be all like children? ten-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, better movie. Cool. Yeah, not better movie, but really cool. Like, I'd, I'd love the idea of... If it was, we totally could have paired this with the rule doll, the witches. Well, yeah. Be perfect. Convention, Dance Academy. Uh, I want to talk about the piano player because I always forget about him. And then every time that scene comes, I'm like, what is this? You're talking about his death scene? And what's ha- Him in general. Oh. So he he's blind. He plays music for them. He has a seeing eye dog, a guidance dog, which I guess there aren't laws in um, <laughs> that time period that allow you to bring your helper dog inside with you. Mm. So he ties him up outside. But I mean, like that dog would scuff the floor, wouldn't he? politely of course he's trained (laughs) so there's like a furtive eye scene where the little boy like looks at the dog and then we find out that the dog has bit him i don't think the dog actually bit him i don't see i don't i don't think so either but we don't know but the dog definitely knows the dog's like "Mm, witches yeah and they're like oh fuck we gotta get rid of that dog Mm, that dog knows too much put him in the barbed wire room (laughs) uh plus What's this? Is it Daniel? Yeah, Daniel. He's blind. Why couldn't they put him in the barbed wire room? So instead, they let him quit. And then they murder him in, like, the Hall of Presidents. (laughs) (laughs) It's a strange area, right? It's somewhere in Berlin, I guess. But it's just this city square, and there's nobody around, and he gets killed by a gargoyle. When is his own dog? And his own dog. That, am I right? Is there like a like a like a gargoyle that's on top of that building? Then then that's not there a moment later, and I then we're like in a POV of a of no. an animal swooping around. I didn't. I don't know. Okay. What I I kind of gathered like we really centered on the gargoyle, and then there was a bunch of shadows. So I was like, ooh, yeah, possessing witches things. Are coming. I thought maybe it was witches flying. I don't know. Maybe. I was trying to see if, like, there were brooms or shit. I don't oh, know. you know what? Marcos, maybe she's not supposed to look uh, all, like, decrepit and... Like um, oatmeal old lady? <laughs> yeah, so maybe she's supposed to be less oatmeal face and more stone face. She's actually a gargoyle. Oh, She that's has cool. the ability to turn into stone. That's cool. That'd be all right. I'm about that. I'd be down. I mean, based on the newer film as well, I think it was just decrepit and decomposing, but... Hey. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I got some cool witchy powers. And the other scene I wanted to talk about, and I'm surprised you didn't bring this up yourself... The sleepover in the main dance room. Arguably the best scene of the entire movie. Oh, I'm with you. It is the best scene, and that's why we've saved it for last. Why are they sleeping in there again? Maggots on the... Mag... Oh, that's right. That scene's pretty fucking cool, too, right? So my only question there is, there's a really cool reveal where we find out that Helena Marcos, the directress, is behind the curtain in that scene. Yeah. Is her, like, layer on the same floor as the girls' dorms? Like, is it in the upstairs floor? I always assumed it was downstairs. Why is she sleeping there? Is no, there isn't maggots it, isn't in it room? upstairs because of the like the end of the movie? She goes upstairs in the hallway? No, you're right, because she goes through the door in, in Madame Blanc's office. She does a lot of walking. There's a lot of walking. I don't know if she goes downstairs. I just assumed that that office was downstairs. I think maybe the the construction of that that building is probably supposed to be confusing. Like you go into a door in the basement and you're up, you're all of a sudden you're upstairs like a nightmare. <laughs> just saying. 
Okay, uh, we get it. The nightmare. <laughs> we get it. It's your it's your mom's house, but it's not your mom's house. Okay, <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, forgot about the maggots. The maggots are cool. You're right. That scene in the slumber party scene, which that's a perfectly fine way to describe it, is the greatest scene in this movie. Visually, it's really cool. You have the foreground of all the dancers getting in their makeshift beds. There's a huge curtain separating them from the teachers who are lit by a red floodlight, which anytime there's darkness in this movie, it is red lighting, which I, I think it's cool. It's super fun. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, yeah, red floodlighting and the creepiest goddamn breathing ever. The breathing on itself isn't creepy. It's the whispering and the mystery that they add. It, well, yeah. It makes the scene so eerie intense. And, and then it just cuts, and then it's just over. Yeah, and but you don't even necessarily, like, it's almost like a subconscious thing. You don't, you aren't necessarily able to pinpoint why. Yeah. Like the I'm film establishes a mystery, but because it's it's so wrapped up in its visual storytelling, the, the mystery tidbits we get are so far and few between. Like, we get, um, when Patricia was running out, she said the word iris and the word secret. So you have that for, for an hour, and then you get this behind-the-curtain mystery and it's just enough that just keeps you completely into it. Like, oh, who's breathing? And the directress. And why is the directress so creepy? And then we cut away from it. Yeah, yeah. And it's just enough to make you, like Susie, suspicious. Yeah, like you're constantly just scratching at the surface because you just need to know a little more because there's just like a one piece that's missing in this puzzle that'll like bring it all together. Yeah, like something is weird. Not weird enough for me to leave, but definitely weird. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the, like she says Iris in, in those scenes. I love how much we come back to those scenes in the rain and like when she finally figures out everything she says it's i don't know it's so crazy like it's it's a reveal that shouldn't feel as satisfying as it does oh it's when it so comes. rewarding and i i i'm normally not a fan for flashbacks in movies or just this like the is repetition. the best yeah this is the best done flashback of all time it's of so that good. girl uh whispering in the door it is amazing perfect i've really been looking forward to watching this movie i'm so glad we rewatched it oh man I like this movie a lot now. Uh, like I did not, I did not like it nearly as much as I did now, and I'm very much looking forward to watching it again in a few years or something and loving it. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think right now I'm at that peak moment where I'm not going to watch it again for a long time because yeah. I feel so good about it right now. Yeah, I definitely got way more out of it this time, and I and I think that came from having seen it so many times. Like I think it allowed me to try to figure out as much of the story aspect as I could because I wasn't wowed and I wasn't being surprised by the visuals and I, what I the always, film looks like. I always loved how it looked. Like, I, I think it was always fun. But, like, after an hour and a half, two hours, I need something more to chew on than just what I'm being shown in these cool dark sequences, right? And it's funny, I, I think the new Suspiria is, like, tailor-made for us almost because we don't love the original or i think honestly i think the new suspiria is made for people that are familiar with it but aren't necessarily obsessed with it i really do think you need to be like a philosopher of dario argento's movies in order to really fully appreciate uh the the, the, the new suspiria yeah i think i just went in with a really wrong exp- expectation i thought it was going to be for like a new generation yeah and i thought it was going to be more of a layman version of suspiria which it, it isn't it's pretty deep 
Yeah. Um, but it's given us a new appreciation of this movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to rewatch the new one now that I think I have a grasp on the story of this one. Because I think you do actually need to understand Suspiria 1977 to appreciate Suspiria 2018. Because they take that lore and they spin it in a unique way that is grander in scope and isn't going to be as simple to decipher as... And, and even saying that this one is simple to decipher isn't true, but it's it's just more complex. Yeah. So, with all that in mind, what would you have rated this movie a few months ago, and what do you rate it now? Uh, I would have given it a 2 out of 4, and probably purely for visuals. Yeah, story-wise, it's much lower. And I really like Jessica Harper. I think she's she's like... One, she's gorgeous and she's got beautiful doe eyes, but <laughs> she she plays inquisitive and curious and fearful. Like she's got a great like resting acting expression. She's perfect in this role. Did you see that she turned down a role in Annie Hall for this movie? That's crazy. That's nuts. Uh, great decision though. This is the this is the role of her career. Mm-hmm. But just she's just perfect in it. Um, now I will give it a three out of four. Uh, I hate I hate when we have the same ratings, but I'm absolutely with you. I would have given this a two out of four because I didn't think there was a whole lot to chew on in the movie, and I, I felt um, like I was missing something in the story. But visually, it was great. This time around, I'm super appreciating like that nightmarish aspect. Uh, obviously the visuals are still incredible and I'm sitting with a three out of four comfortably as well. Yeah. I mean, strong three out of four. Yeah. I totally would get, would have given this movie a four out of four if it just had a little bit more mystery and we got a little bit more about the witches and what their motivations were and how they kind of functioned their hierarchy. Mm. But I guess that's for another movie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I guess last question. What do you think of the goblin score? That's the other thing that everybody else talks about. There's moments where I really, really enjoy it. Um, but I think it – I'm terrible about scores. I normally try to avoid music talk altogether because I'm not a really good – I don't have a really good ear for it. I tend to ignore it completely. Uh, the the witch, 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 witch. I didn't <laughs> I didn't love and that's why I kind of make fun of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean it, I, I don't love it the same way other people love it. I think it's fun. I think it's cool. It's, you know, like a dark synthy thing that I, I guess gets across like that dream – like quality it it adds like a layer of consistency throughout the movie i guess i'll say like yeah. we are in somebody else's else's layer the second that Susie steps in the door and the music i think kind of embodies that that we're in a foreign place and it's it's not it's kind of like a wizard of oz thing like we're not in kansas anymore sure and i mean honestly just to just to come back to something you were saying don't feel bad if you don't notice the score because i think a great score um, can go completely unnoticed as long as it gets across the tone and emotion that you're supposed to be feeling in that scene. You know, it's like if you do something right, won't feel like you've done anything at all. And I think the score is, is all about just getting uh, the mood across. So even if you don't notice it, it's totally there. Your brain hears it, and your brain is helping fill in those blocks uh, visually, I guess. So. Thanks for covering for me. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace. A house of high fashion, a dazzling whirl of elegance. 
of exotic, extravagant beauties. An adventurous journey into the devastating allure of the most sophisticated women and their intimate secrets. Suddenly, these lace curtains ignite a drama that will lacerate your emotions. Blood and black lace. <coughs> who is this shrouded, sadistic, sordid fiend who maims and murders? Why this bloodthirsty orgy? This holocaust of lives. Blood and black lace in bleeding color. For shattering, shivering, shocking experience. So, Mary Abava's Blood and Black Lace from 1964. It's currently sitting at an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. A 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb, and a 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Pretty similar. Also, fun fact, the Italian title for this movie, uh, pardon my Italian, Si Donna per la Sinis Assassino, which translates to Six Women for the Murderer. Ooh. Yeah. Originally titled Fashion House of Death. I like that. Yeah, that one's actually pretty good. So off the top, we do have to talk about the opening of this movie fuck yeah we do we go through our cast of characters in this sort of removed way it's not part of the plot it isn't a scene we're just revealing our cast of characters in this really cool moody colorful lighting and everybody's got suspicious glances yeah it's like the opening of a noir soap opera from 1962 Love it. <laughs> it's fucking gorgeous yeah it's every got this... single every single character looks amazing they look and great. suspicious yeah very very suspicious and they're all interacting in some way well mostly they're they're mostly all interacting some way with this red velvet mannequin or they have these cage mannequins. They're very cool. The cage mannequins are really cool. And mm-hmm. they're always all lit differently. Oh, I love it. Yeah, and that just understanding how that would even work. Like, there's scenes where a bunch of them are different colors in the same scene. It's like, light likes to spread. Light likes to take up space. Yeah, unless you're a genius with it and you know how to block it off. <laughs> yeah. Do you know much? I don't know anything about light blocking. No, okay, so... <laughs> I'm like, I don't, John, so please don't ask me. No, what, what I was actually going to ask about is if you read anything about the opening sequence of this movie. I did not. I didn't read anything about this movie. Okay, So good. you can give me all the Wikipedia facts. Are yeah. you excited? I'm very excited. I even have some IMDb facts on Whoa, this sucker. Oh, somebody went into the research mode. Yeah, this movie, uh, in the American version when it was first released, they cut out that opening title sequence no they replaced it with an animated sequence cool yeah i think it's probably the same score but same idea and it was just like a macabre opening with mannequins being shot and stuff oh cool maybe we can find it on youtube it's probably on that arrow release that we have oh cool maybe it's somewhere in there we just we haven't gone through any of the extras yet and you know now that i'm thinking about it maybe i should have just taken the time to watch a featurette or two instead of reading the wikipedia entries because i guarantee there's a bunch of great interviews with people that know more than the wikipedia editors and there's a commentary there's a commentary track yeah i didn't see who did it but there is one we do need to talk about though all of the audio for this film we started (laughs) we started watching it because we we'd never seen this film before i'm saying that as a question we've never seen this film before we've um (laughs) i've seen maybe the first half of it i'm almost positive i watched it with you 
Um, but no, I had never seen the full movie. Okay, so we've never seen this film before. And because we knew it was going to be a very visual film, we opted for the English uh, the English dubbing track. I think it was also to be fair to Suspiria as well. Like, hey, we just watched a movie with a bunch of dubbing in it. Maybe we should watch another movie with dubs. Yeah, I was like, you know, we should put them on the same playing field because we don't want to judge Suspiria based on the vocal acting and then have this film with the original actors. So we started watching with the English dubbing. And then it drove us crazy. So we were like, okay, fine. We're going we're gonna to just read the captions. We can tell it's beautiful. It's great. And then we put the captions on. But the Italian in the original film is dubbed. So we were watching the movie dubbed and then reading captions, which may have been more inauthentic than just reading the English dubbing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, it's common practice, though, for that time. I know. Well, that's kind of why we went. We wanted to do that, to kind of pair it with Suspiria, because Suspiria was also dubbed. Yeah, I found out recently um, that one actor did most of the male voices in the English dubbing. Oh, really? Did a large chunk of them. I shouldn't say he did all of them. And he also does voices uh, for the tombstones at the Haunted Mansion ride. Cool. So it sounds like we're probably going to rewatch this with English dubbing for Kim. (laughs) Because Haunted Mansion, I just, you know, obsession. It's in your blood. If you haven't seen the movie in a while or you're unfamiliar with it, Blood and Black Lace follows a series of murders that happen in a fashion house, which is also why uh, Fashion House of Death would have been a great title. Yeah, so firstly, maybe we need to talk about what a fashion house is, because most of this film I was like, what is a fashion house? Do they sell clothes? I think it's a dance academy for fashion. Pretty much. So they employ a bunch of young, beautiful models who sometimes model the clothes in the fashion house, I guess they have I think they hold, runway shows. Yeah. But they don't, I don't know if it's a boutique. Like, I don't know if you can just go in and buy things. I mean, the sign out front does say Christian, I think. Christian couture. So maybe. Yeah, but I think it's like a fancy, almost like a fancy wedding dress shop. Like, I think affluent people make appointments. They go in, they have their own private dressing room. And the designer either designs clothes around them or shows them things from the line. And they would adapt it for that person oh yeah well i don't think it's like like a a retail space where you can walk in and pick something off the shelf it's couture like it's made for you fancy schmancy yeah what's what's more fancy is it couture or bespoke because to me honestly when i hear bespoke i think like rococo and it's like a time period but i think bespoke is like a tailor-made thing right you can get a nice bespoke suit i thought that was a type of suit i am not sure like pinstripes okay like pinstripe zoot and bespoke those are the three types of suits (laughs) Yeah, we know nothing. Which says a lot about the income bracket we live in. The fact that we don't know the the difference between the two. But we do know who voiced the tombstones in the Haunted yeah, Mansion ride. right. All the peasants know that. <laughs> <laughs> we need a hero to hold up and to idolize. So there's a lot of characters in this. Do we want to do a quick rundown of, like, who's who in fashion house uh, i mean we could I, I i definitely wrote them down at least all the ones that were um pertinent i didn't bother writing down the name for italian peter Lorre or anything but okay well, we, we can go through the plot and we can just um so opening the film 
Isabella, in her beautiful pink raincoat, uh, gets... You were so upset you didn't get to see more of that pink raincoat. I fucking love that raincoat. Uh, she gets murdered in the pretty expansive gardens of the fashion house. Yeah, right? Like, thinking back to it, she's walking for a while. It's like the Queen of Hearts compound. I expected some trees with red roses. <laughs> yeah, they, they drop her off at the gate, and you figure, oh, just a few steps inside. She's got to, like, go through the atrium. She's got to go through here, down this, like, really great garden pathway. Yeah, she does, like, a really ornate... Texas Chainsaw final run sequence. (laughs) (laughs) And a mysterious masked man with no features on his face. Like a white pantyhose. Yeah, trench coat, white pantyhose. Cool hat. Fedora? Yeah. Question mark? Fedora. I went with cool hat. Maybe we could stick with cool hat. (laughs) Cool hat man. Uh, Strangles her? Stabs her? How does he get her? I don't remember. Fuck. He He strangles her, right? Yeah. He kills her. We're just, like, the most basic things. What type of hat? It's a cool hat. How does he kill her? He kills her. Like, he just does. I think he he strangles her. <laughs> he takes her down. He drags her body out to the river and dumps it. And we're unsure why. Yeah. And so th- when the police get involved, because you can't have a noir-type film without investigators, mm-hmm. we are introduced to the managers of the fashion house, uh, Max and Countess Christina Como, <laughs> who um, are kind of like, oh, fuck. And, <laughs> and they want to continue business as usual. So they kind of round up all the models and they're going to just keep on keeping on. So they do their fashion show. And meanwhile, the inspector is going to interrogate everybody as he can. Yeah. And Nicole, who decides that she's going to wear Isabella, who is now dead's dress for the pageant or the runway walk or whatever the frig we call it wears isabella's outfit but she needs isabella's brooch for it and when she opens up her her stuff she finds her diary dun, 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 dun. which le gasp everybody's all like fuck because they all have secrets um it seems like everybody in this goddamn place has secrets with isabella yeah and so there's this really long but super fun sequence where nicole puts the diary in her purse because she's going to give it to the police mm-hmm. And then she has to go on stage, so she moves the purse so it's in the door frame, and she can watch it, for the most part, while she's walking. Well, I think it's also so that way it's out in the open, too. It's not just in her private dressing room where somebody could maybe steal the diary unnoticed. Yeah, it's kind of like it's, she's put it in the custody of everybody in that room. Yeah, and like we have all these furtive glances of people that are like, oh, it's, it's my opportunity, I gotta get that diary, gotta get that diary, can't get that diary, fuck, I need that diary. Um, because if, if anybody takes it, they're admitting to everybody else around that they may be the killer. Yeah, but in that scene, like, the purse is the protagonist. That's great. <laughs> it's like a Hitchcock scene. Yeah, and we're just watching the purse. You know what's great about that fucking scene is that in the loops of that purse, is that what you call them? Loops? Handles. Handles of that purse. <laughs> there is, uh, Tilda, I believe. She's off in the background. She's actually in the middle ground. She's in focus. The purse is in focus. The runway at the end in another room is also in focus. I fucking love the cinematography in this movie this movie is friggin gorgeous yeah and it's no surprise mario bava this is like the one thing i know about mario bava was a cinematographer who became a director so that's why his movies are always very visual um and thus ends my knowledge of that man so there's one thing i do want to say about that though because like i'm a sucker for lighting gels and i love when you throw color in a scene that doesn't necessarily need to be there um, I loved it in the gate with the pink lights coming out of the gate. I love it in Beetlejuice when it's coming out of the draw a door. Oh, um, man. I just love 
pops of color. Mm -hmm. And giallo films are fucking filled with them. Just excuses for neon lighting. And I'm about that. The coolest thing about this film is, apart from like the, um, the super stylized fashion house scenes, we really get reasons for it to be there in a way that is so fucking smart and artful. I know exactly what you're talking about. So that night, um, Nicole takes the purse with her to her boyfriend's house or whatever. It's an old antique dealership. It's on the second story of this town street. And outside, this neon green sign is just flashing dancing, dancing, dancing. And when she gets inside this vintage antique shop, the green light is flashing in through all the windows and illuminating this, like, room of junk Mm -hmm. throughout this entire scene, which is actually really intense because you find out the killer's there and he's chasing her through this really busy maze-like store. And he's disappearing and reappearing in that green light. Yeah, you have this green light flashing and there's a lot of tense moments, you're right, where the, the, the killer's there when it's green and then it turns off and he's not there and you turn it back on and he's somewhere different. Like a ghost. Like a ghost, yeah. (laughs) It's brilliant. I mean, like, you see that used in so many other movies, but it's just, it's nuts how pulpy and perfect it is. Well, and that's kind of the thing about pulp, though, is it's kind of got this, the darkness of the city and, like, the dirtiness of crime infiltrating um, life. Mm. And, like, the fact that the, the sleazy city lights flash in on these people while they're being killed, it just, there's, like, a looming influence of, like, what life was like at that time hanging over everything like yes we're just watching one guy killing one girl but it it's representative of something that's just that's interesting too because like the real hopelessness in in a scene where somebody's being murdered is knowing that they're only a few steps or like a shout away from somebody helping them like we're not out in the woods we're not in a remote cabin where there's no cell phone reception and nobody could possibly reach us like just outside of those doors is a night guardsman and like he could just as easily come and like that light is a reminder that you're not in this self-contained little world it's like, the world itself just hustling and bustling and could come to save your life is right out there but just out of reach yeah and another surprising thing about this is that as much of a noir and a mystery as it is there is a lot of focus on the kills which it's Like, it's hard to describe because this is kind of pre-slasher, but it is a slasher in how much care and attention it designates to the kill scenes. It feels like a Friday the 13th film. Yeah. You got a masked killer, too, basically, right? And he doesn't have an M.O. This isn't just about strangling girls and leaving their bodies in, like, perfectly lit ways. Like, he's got some some creative moves. Every (laughs) girl is killed a different way. And then they are, like, posed in absolutely perfect pulpy positions with, like, their blouses just undone enough. And their garters showing. It it, could be the cover of a book. Oh, totally. Totally. It's so funny you say that, too, because it is, was supposed to be done in that style of a killer on the rampage and the cops are after him. And, like, that's a very standard pulpy type thing, which is kind of what Giallo came out of. But that's not at all what Mario Bava was doing. He got very bored with all of that, and it was supposed to be, and all of the backers and financiers were expecting a straightforward sort of cop procedural. And he instead put this big focus on these violent, on all of, like, the violent sequences and the deaths and any sort of, like, sexual angle that he could get out of these women that are, are killed and left half naked. And it was unlike anything they'd seen, and it was way too violent, and for the most part, hated it. Um, Wow. And this movie was a fucking flop. 
Really? Oh, yeah. This movie made no money. Wow. This, in, in fact, some of those scenes where um, where Peggy is later, her face is burned. A lot of that's all cut out because it was an X rating. And they needed to get it down to an R at the very least. This movie cost like $150,000 to make. It only made back $70,000. Wow. Yeah. And, honest, and uh, apparently just disappeared. It was such a flop that it was virtually unheard of and impossible to get a copy of until 1999. No! I'm dead serious. Like, for wow. years, this movie just it didn't exist. Yeah, it just goes to show, though, that if something is meant to have cultural significance, like, it will find its way. Mm. Because I've I've heard about this movie, I, I assumed forever, but I guess I came on when it came on. <laughs> yeah. And I think, what was it, like, 2005 or something? Maybe 2015 that Arrow released it on on DVD like there was a 1999 home video release but it was very limited but it like brought it back out to the world again until Arrow like really brought it to to everybody wow at least that's they're credited for it it's funny too because knowing about this movie uh, and having grown up obsessing over Dick Tracy I was always wondering why Warren Beatty didn't get in trouble for basically hijacking the killer from Blood and Black Lace because the the villain in that movie is a faceless character who wears a trench coat and has a fedora. Everybody in like pulp though yeah, wore that's a, a trench good point. coat. You know, now that you mention it, Dick Tracy did exist back in like the 30s or 40s as a cartoon strip, and I'm sure that faceless man was also in it. Man in quotations. I don't know if you guys oh. have seen that movie. A little bit of surprise for you there. Well, so 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 did this film. That's a good point. That's a really good point. The killer you follow, you're assuming it's a man. He smacks women around like yeah, a man. Yeah, Peggy gets smacked in the face like 30 times. Way more times than A lot than, of like, necessary. emotional slapping. Yeah, it, it's, it's nuts because... <laughs> like backhanded, like smack, um, like full arm slap. I think in total, not in total, but I think in one moment he smacks her maybe six times in a row. Like, like a cartoon character like back a, and forth. Like psh, psh, psh. Yeah, like a throwing water on something. Somebody trying to make them come to their senses kind of smacking. I think that was just their depiction of torture. Like, because she oh, burns the diary. She she reads a page on her about how she had to have an abortion and she had to get some money from somebody. Mm. Um, so she burns that page and then she opts to just burn the whole diary. And the killer's not very happy about that. So he tortured her to try to get information about what was in the diary. And uh, she just doesn't want to divulge that information. So he burns her on the fire. <laughs> yeah. Apparently the makeup for her face took four hours to apply. Mm, looked like cornmeal. I know, that's what I'm saying, right? It looked, and it, it just goes to show that they really had to sort of wash this movie of violence because nothing's red. It looks, yeah. it looks like cornflakes. You're right. Uh, it looks very tan. Yeah, it, it, whatever. And it's, yeah, four hours to do that. Okay, All it's right. fine. It's the '60s. It's fine. I get it. <laughs> but. Um, she was very tired after shooting a long day one night and didn't take the makeup off and just went home and it terrified her mother. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if she got like pulled over with like all that shit I, on her face? I honestly, I thought that's where the story was going. Oh. Or that she walked home and somebody tried to mug her and they're like, no, oh, keep it. <laughs> You're gross. You can keep your purse. You need this more than I do. So pretty much all of the models get killed. All of them. <laughs> so we don't necessarily need to go through all of them, uh, but we can get to the 
the meat and the bones of who the killer is, who you find out in kind of um an anticlimactic fashion. Oh my god, what are you talking about? I loved the reveal of this. Okay, maybe you should talk about I it. I will. <laughs> so, Inspector Sylvester rounds up all the men in town. Well, not the men in town, but like all the dudes in the fashion house. And he detains them overnight because he's going to figure out who's who and who did what and whatnot. And some guy's hysterical, so we're all going to carry him over to the, the, the infirmary. But you four are going to stay here for the night. And of course, uh, to their luck, I guess, a mother murder takes place while they're locked up. I don't know if you call that lucky. Well, I mean, it's lucky. Oh, you mean to the pers- suspect's luck. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely not lucky for whoever gets murdered. And I love that line from the uh, the inspector, too. Like, well, it seems as though they've all got an airtight alibi. And, and I gave w- it to them. <laughs> exactly. Like, so serious about it, too, right? But when they're letting everybody go, they're giving them back their personal belongings and max gets this notepad that we've seen the killer use because he doesn't want to use his own voice because the girls would recognize him he writes down where is the diary when he's attacking peggy and when they give it back to him in the cop station i was like ready to throw my hands in the air i thought that was so fucking good yeah but then they have that like romantic scene where you find out that max and Christina are like romantically intertwined and they killed her husband and they've been covering up blackmail all this time and Isabella who was killed at the very beginning was blackmailing them and sick of it unable to pay it they killed her didn't know the diary existed so all of these other deaths have just been cover up on top of cover up yeah they really only planned to, to kill this one girl and now they're stuck killing everybody in town And so Max proposes that they need to kill one last time. There's one more model left, Tilda, and they're going to kill her, make it look like a suicide, throw the mask and the accoutrement next to her so Mm -hmm. that it looks like she did the crime. Yeah, Uh, you know, and if you're going to, you know, fake a suicide, you would make it look like the person killed themselves. And I don't know of a single case of somebody drowning themselves in their bathtub. Well, she slits her wrists after. I suppose that's And I don't true. know if they had the forensics at that time to be like, this blood is not clotted. Maybe they did. Who knows? Know, it's a movie. That shot, though, where we're just like tight on her oh. face underwater and the blood is rushing up toward her. Even oh, before man. the blood, just that actress is so striking. Mm. She has really light blood wide cat-like eyes and her eyebrows are drawn really harshly in this like almost Bride of Frankenstein angle Okay, and her underwater with her eyes open when she's being drowned is like shocking so shocking and then when she's dead you're right and there's there's like the water is calm but her face is so not so spooky it's very haunting but uh, there's a knock on the door and police we're coming in open up Christina freaks out because she's just taken off her mask. She's ready to leave all of her murderous accoutrement uh, next to the body. And uh, she's got to get out. So she hops out a window. She's climbing on a drain pipe. But the drain pipe's broken and she falls to her death. Ah. Question mark. <laughs> uh, because we see that Max has set it all up. He was the person that was knocking on the door saying that he was the police. He had broken the drain pipe. So that way she would fall to her death knowing that that was the one way that she would try and escape. But you can't have a mystery without double cross. All right, you gotta have that double cross. That double cross is always coming. You can't, you can't conspire to kill somebody. You just gotta do it yourself, I guess. At no. least that's what movies have taught me. The only way to get away with anything is you have to be the only one that knows. And, so you know, love, no witnesses, no murder. Love does not survive murder. Not at all. She comes back to the house. She's barely alive, clinging on to life, and she gets into a bit of a tussle with Max, who's trying to explain things to her, and go, blah, 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 I love you, we'll go to El Capulco. (laughs) 
Uh, it's not my fault, baby. You're making me do some crazy things. She shoots him. He dies, and she falls down next to him. The two lovers embraced in death as they as they were in life, I And suppose. then the movie's over, and everyone is dead. And like, you never get a scene. This is, like really subverts the whole cop drama, right? Like You never even get a moment where the cops show up, and the cops see who's responsible, and they, they, they wipe their hands of it, and they say, Oh, how tragic. A bunch of people had to die. What? For just a little money? Oh. Like, you, you don't get any of that, but right? But we end on the phone, so she tries to call the, the police. Oh, that's right, and the uh, phone's before just she dies. swinging. And so the red phone is swinging upside down, and it, I think that kind of exemplifies that the cops are always one step behind mm. what's happening. That's a good point. Because they're a world away. But it, it really just goes to show how much of the focus and how much of the perspective of the movie uh, is from the killer, which mm-hmm. is something that you wouldn't have gotten beforehand. Like, the killer was always... Killers in movies, it was always an us versus them scenario, uh, and them being the killer and us being with the cops. That's that's why none of the Universal monster movies necessarily end on on a downer note. It's it's always happy in the end because good defeats evil. Uh, and in this, as as much as you know, the cops are gonna figure out who did what. It's so bleak. Yeah, they everybody's dead. Yeah, they didn't save anybody that they were trying to save. They didn't even save their own skins. No. Yeah. Bleak. It's a good movie. Uh, another thing I want to talk about, because we did talk about the bathtub scene, which I wanted to make sure we touched on. Visually, another really fucking cool moment is when Greta, who discovers uh, she's the alibi murderer. Yeah. Uh, she gets killed when all the men are in custody. She dies under her stairs? No. So Greta's coming home, and she finds, realizing that she is the alibi or the, the finger-pointed murderer, they're going to try and pin it on her. Uh, she finds the body of Peggy in her trunk, and she brings it inside. I don't know why she does this. I don't I know can, either. I guess she's just worried that no, like it's gonna it's gonna be my word against theirs, and they're they're gonna think that I'm the killer, and I can't let that happen. So she brings the body inside. She hides it under her stairs and covers it up with some of those Chinese blinds. Is that what they're called? I think so, or like dressing blinds. Yeah. So um, she, she's finally got the body covered. Uh, she's relaxing upstairs. I think she's drawing a bath. And we come downstairs, and we we know that the killer is in the house coming for Greta because we slowly see the body move from underneath those stairs off camera as though the killer is pulling the body away. Looks so great. Yeah, because you don't see any of that. So your first inclination is this wide-eyed, dead, beautiful blonde woman just being dragged off the screen. Like, so slowly. And I, I, I kind of love that we don't see the killer in that scene anyway, because there's a lot of mystery around it. Like, who is the person killing everybody? But also for just how featureless they are. Uh, it's like it's a ghost. Um, so to have somebody that you can't see dragging this body away, I think it's just like such a perfectly unsettling moment. Well, I think in this instance, too, this is the only time that the killer is played by Christine and not by Max. Good point. So it would be a different body type, but I mean, they could have just had the same guy playing him to kind of keep the air of illusion up. But she would have looked very different mm-hmm. in that same getup. Yeah, so we we don't really see them a whole lot. Um, we see that the bodies get, you know, she gets she gets killed, and unfortunately, and the body gets positioned, so it looks like a sex maniac has killed them now. Pin that sex maniac on Tilda, because she's got the evilest eyes of the group. She does look like she's pretty evil. I, there was a moment where I thought, I think she might actually be killing people here. Um, well, they do kind of red herring make it look like her, because she's near Greta's car, Right before the body ends up in it. Yeah, why is she I think she's just snooping. She might be looking for the diary still. Oh, maybe. 
But yeah, I her character is just striking. Like you can't not look at her, and mm-hmm. she doesn't have the biggest part either. She just looks cool. Yeah, she should have played Bride of Frankenstein or Maleficent or something like that. Mm, she could totally do it. So, what's your rating on the film? It's very noirish. It's pulpy. It's tawdry. It's full of murder, uh, and visually, it's fucking gorgeous. But it's also kind of low on story. Like, there's not a whole lot there. Um, yeah, like, the mystery isn't the greatest, but that might be by today's standards. Yeah. We've been running on this formula for 50 years. That's true. But, I mean, like, goddamn, this guy can can shoot a furtive glance and just, like, that little beam across the eyes like oh, nobody's so business. so good. So good. So I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of 4. Oh, wow. Why? What's yours? Uh, three out of four. Yeah. Oh, come on. That's not too much of a surprise. I was going to be a two and a half. I talked myself into a three. Two and a half. It looks cool. Yeah. That's well, a two points on cool looking. Yeah, well, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, it's it's funny. It is it is very similar to Suspiria. It's very visual, and its story, it's very light on story. But I, I, I guess at least this one, we have a lot of explanation. We know what's what. We know why it's being done. I just I just like this style of film. Yeah, and I was also really pleasantly surprised on how murdery it was. Yeah. This definitely feels like a slasher film. But uh, I'm super glad this movie's out there. Not that, you know, we had anything to do with it or it's new news, but it's it's so crazy to me that for 40 years, basically, people couldn't get their hands on it. But that's it for us. Uh, let us know which movie you prefer more. I have a feeling I know what the answer is. What do you like best? Dario Argento's Suspiria or Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace? You can tweet at us at NOFS Podcast. You can find us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. And we are going to stick around for a few minutes and play a quick game, which I am calling Red Leather Yellow Leather. Wait, hang on. Let me do this again. You want me to, Okay. Red leather, yellow weather. Whoa, okay. Red leather, yellow weather. And yeah, you know, I'll explain it in the I'll explain it in the game. That's fine. If you want to hear that game and every other bonus game that we have that we pair with each of our episodes and all of the other bonus content available to you as a monthly supporter of the show, head over to patreon.com slash nightmare on film street. But that's it for us. I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at N-O-F-S podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. <laughs>